Welcome back to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville's new Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams, after a Saturday night that remains difficult to digest. Tennessee went on the road and got blown out by a previously mediocre South Carolina team. We will get into that. We'll talk about what uh, lies ahead for Tennessee in the aftermath, not only of a loss that knocks out Tennessee from the playoff, but knocked Hinton Hooker out of the the lineup as well. Hinton Hooker, uh, quite unfortunately, suffered a season-ending ACL injury in the fourth quarter of that game. So, guys, um, going back to, to Saturday night in Columbia, how surprising was that? Because, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season Tennessee lost on the road at South Carolina, I would have found it very believable. Felt like a toss-up game at the beginning of the year. I know John you know, w- was right in that camp as well. He was he was high on the Gamecocks and, and thought this was a dangerous team. If you'd told us this, guys, in the middle of last week, I think we would have thought, what in the world happened, you know? Well, what happened was Tennessee's glaring weakness all year. It's secondary. South Carolina exploited it again and again and again. The Vols had no answer, and their offense wasn't quite as good as it's been most of the season, and and that was that. And then Tennessee's playoff chances are, are over. Uh, what was your guys' takeaways? It was shocking to pretty much everybody in the stadium how the game went down. And, and, and I see everybody in the stadium because the South Carolina media that I was around, some of the South Carolina fans that I had some, uh, I saw some reactions of was more of where has this been all year? You know, the Spencer Rattler that we saw in that game was the one that South Carolina thought they were getting for the whole season, a Heisman candidate that could light it up and electric offense and all this sort of thing. And this was the only real game he had, he had done that in, you know, Tennessee suddenly felt like what it's like to be Tennessee's opponent. Tennessee showed no evidence that they were ever going to stop South Carolina. That they could have played that game for another three hours and <laughs> South Carolina would have scored every drive. And that's how Tennessee's opponents usually feel. That you you have to go for it on fourth down. You have to score every drive because because Tennessee was going to do that. And you get behind early and you feel like you there's no way you can catch up. And late in the game you get deep passes thrown on you and the scores run up and the, the crowd storms the field at the end, and that's how Tennessee's opponents have felt almost all year. Tennessee felt that this time. And, I mean, I, I'm not one to deliver silver linings, but if you want to see small, one small silver lining in this of the overall Josh Hopple era, if we look years down the road, it's that this told us for sure that this secondary is an enormous problem. Maybe there's some problems with the staff and the scheme and I know we'll get into that because I think there's a little bit of an element that if you know if Tennessee had gotten to the playoff with this team and escaped this game and got to the playoff there would be a little bit of this narrative in the offseason that well the secondary was bad and the pass defense wasn't good and but you know you got to the playoff with it so obviously what what they're doing is, is good enough this sort of took those fissures and just ripped them wide open and said, no, 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 this is, this is your ceiling here. This, this has to get fixed or you're never going to be any better uh, than, you know, a, a, a good season, but you're not going to be an SEC contender or playoff contender. If you're, if your past defense is this bad, because it'll, it'll only get worse and people will exploit it even more. It's seven SEC games, three of their seven games, a quarterback threw for over 400 yards. That's mind blowing. 
I can understand how uh, South Carolina fans would be baffled by this. Blake, you're right. I mean, this is kind of what I expected to see from South Carolina when they when they signed uh, Spencer Rattler. The irony in this game for South from South Carolina perspective was that its two top running backs were out, Marshawn Lloyd and uh, Christian Beal Smith. If they had played, would we have seen a different offense? I think that's a good possibility. I think they would have tried to run the ball. It's what they've been doing all year. Tennessee probably could have handled that. But instead, without those guys, they got creative and just kind of turned Spencer Rattler loose. And we saw a quarterback we haven't seen all year. It makes me wonder about what they've been doing over there in their staff meetings <laughs> on the offensive side of the ball. But but that's a good point, Adam, about about really, really good offenses now. Offenses rule the day, and the idea is not to – you can't stop them, but you can slow them down. And Tennessee's been able to slow teams down just enough. Uh, although, if, if Georgia hadn't have taken its foot off the accelerator, I think we could have seen the same kind of offensive output that we saw Saturday at South Carolina because it stopped throwing through four passes in the second half, but it was pretty much dominating Tennessee's secondary. So, uh, yeah, that's something going forward Tennessee really has to look at and has to get better at. And, Adam, as you pointed out, um, I mean, it's not like this came out of nowhere. There's been multiple quarterbacks this year that have have thrived and and had season-best games against the Vols. It It really kind of started, I guess, back with Anthony Richardson in September, you know, all of a sudden he was he was a a passing genius out there and 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 a star. He was he was lighting up that secondary, uh, and of course Bryce Young did the same, and and we've seen a couple other quarterbacks do that as well throughout the course of the year. But Tennessee's offense helped mask that, and I thought Tennessee's pass rush as well helped mask that that porous secondary. Well, Tennessee their their offense was. You know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't it wasn't at the level we've come to expect uh, from Tennessee's offense. Nor was was Hinden Hooker. This was not his his best night. Uh, it's a shame that his career had to had to end that way for for sure. Uh, he was not at, at his most accurate throughout that game. And then you know Tennessee got to Spencer Rattler just one time, and and I think that to me really stood out. If if, if you got a a pass coverage unit as as bad as this group has been. And Spencer Rattler drops back to pass like forty times, and he only sack him once. That that leads to some trouble. And um, I know you guys remember it too. There was a third and twenty play at the end of the third quarter, final play of the third quarter, just a critical moment of of the game. And Tennessee dropped seven defenders. They rushed four. They didn't get enough pressure on Rattler. He had plenty of time. Four of the seven defenders dropped about thirty yards deep. It's like they forgot where the first down markers were. Or the coaching staff did that, that called the scheme, and, the, and there was just a gaping hole in the middle of the field. And Rattler had an easy completion for the first down, and I thought that kind of, you know, epitomized the the game really. And so, in the aftermath of this, guys, um, you know, you, you look at the stats, and Tennessee's allowing more passing yards per game than all but one team. In the FBS, only Ohio allows more passing yards per game than Tennessee does. And really, this this is a problem that stretches back to the end of last season. 
if we think back to the Music City Bowl uh, and the way Purdue lit up Tennessee in that game. So who's at fault here? Who's who's to, to blame for this nightmarish performance at, at the absolute worst time for Tennessee? Well, I mean, you know, there's there's obvious there's there's a lot of layers we can look at. There's there's sort of a fork in the road here. Is it coaching or is it players? Let me just give you the players side of this for one way or another. And this is one by one. Each of these guys that are playing the primary snaps in the secondary. This is me sort of reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, uh, as opposed to anything that's on the record from coaches. I'll take out Trey Flowers and Jalen McCullough. Those are two veteran safeties. They've been fine. They haven't been great. They've been okay. Taking those guys out, those are finished products. Here's some of the other guys, and this is the the, the take on each of these guys. Um, Warren Burrell, a weakness in the secondary at corner, but once he got hurt, the determination was, well, actually, he was the best we had. Uh, Kamal Haddon, uh, not good enough to start, gives up a lot of plays. But fine, he's he's the best we have. Again, the best we have, but not not good enough. Brandon Turnage, jack of all trades, master of none, which is almost the way that all these guys are in the secondary. They don't really have positions; they're just defensive backs. Tamarian McDonald, uh, they wanted a better option at star position. They didn't get one, so they went with him. He's been serviceable. Deshaun Rucker, really fast, lacks fundamentals. That's why he's not playing. Wesley Walker, Georgia Tech transfer. Um, has not gotten better once he's gotten here. Ohio State transfer and uh, Andre Turrentine, not ready yet. Christian Charles was a safety, then moved to corner, and they thought they had a better option, and they, they didn't. He still doesn't. They still don't know exactly what his position was. D. Williams, high-rated junior college transfer, good punt returner, not ready to play defense yet. Danico Slaughter would rather play nickel. They put him at corner, and they played him at corner where he shouldn't be because they didn't have a better option at corner. They've had injuries there. They've had a lot of other issues in the secondary. But you can look at that list I just gave you and say, well, those players aren't good enough. That's the problem. You can also say those players are not getting better or not being developed because these are these are guys that have talent. And, and most of the guys that I just named have been like, some of them have been SEC Defensive Player of the Week. Some of them have had these memorable games. Um, but they'll have like two good games and like eight bad ones or maybe some <laughs> in between good and bad. And so is it the player's fault? There's some issues in the guys that I just named, but there's also some questions of how are these guys playing really well in a couple of games, but then bad in the rest. There may be a developmental issue there. There may be uh, that guys are not evaluated properly. You know, I've mentioned this the last two years is that the, again, the jack-of-all-trades, master of none. This is the way that that Tennessee's defensive backs have been described for the past two years. Willie Martinez, this is his philosophy. This is somewhat Tim Banks. This is even Josh Hopples, at least what he says, is that they don't have corners and they don't have safeties and they don't have nickels. Just everybody can play everywhere. And the strength of this secondary is versatility. Um, To me, that's sort of... To me, that's sort of like throwing a dart to a wall and then painting a target around it, you know, that whatever we have, that's what we really wanted. Uh, Because if you have a really good lockdown corner, you say he's a corner. If you have a ball hawking safety, you say he's a safety. 
Um, if you have guys that aren't really great at any position, you sort of sell versatility as your strength. And, and that's a problem because uh, Alante Taylor was a really good corner. Theo Jackson was a really good nickel. And you didn't necessarily uh, say, well, Alante Taylor can just play anywhere. Um, they, they've got to upgrade in talent. They've also got to be able to, I think, develop these guys much better than they have. Yeah, I think uh, I really like your dartboard analogy. I don't have anything that that clever, uh, but I am not as high on the safeties. Maybe I mean you're you're describing the safeties as adequate. I I don't I don't see that, particularly Jalen McCullough. I, I, from what I saw, that I thought he was awful in that South Carolina game. And and this goes this philosophy this jack of all trades thing. I mean I. I've never even heard that before um, from a program. It, it's always you got corners. You don't want safeties playing cornerback. It you, you you know you even talk about it in matchups. How oh, we got a we got our best wide up wide out matched against a safety. <laughs> like game over. So yeah, I just think they. I think Hypo will have to make some staff changes defensively after this season. And you're right. See, I. It's always I, I never know when you get a junior college guy. Sometimes you really hit on these guys, and then other times you just never see what you thought you were going to see. And and D Williams, when you bring in a, a junior college player, you expect this guy to be ready to play. And in an awful secondary, if this guy's as good as he's supposed to be coming out of junior college, I would have thought he would. When they signed him, I thought, okay, well, this guy will start. And he's really good punt returning, but that doesn't help you when wide receivers are just flying through your secondary wide open. Punt returners don't help. Yeah, and can I, before we move on to the coaches, and I know we will, let, let me just address the, the personnel again in the secondary. A, a lot of these guys that I named uh, will be coming back Ooh, next year. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> So you're either going to have an, an opportunity to improve on guys in the next year, or you're going to have a lingering problem because you have the same personnel. And if you can't develop those guys, or if they're not good enough to be developed, this problem is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. The, the long term, maybe you have more of an opportunity. Now they have Jordan Thomas is a freshman this year. He's a safety that, that I think has some potential Christian Harrison. That's a, a longtime NFL great Rodney Harrison's son. He's got some potential at corner. Cam Miller, they moved from wide receiver to corner. We'll, we'll, or to, to in, somewhere in the, in the secondary. We'll see. Th those are possibilities, but you want to look longer term. Um, the recruiting class they right now that they have coming and committed has in the secondary, they have three four stars and three three stars. Who knows how the three stars will work, but. They've got two corners that are four-star players, Ricky Gibson, Jordan Matthews. They have a four-star safety. You have, you have four-star defensive backs, three of them. You feel like at least two of those guys can work out if you develop them properly, if you've evaluated them properly. So there, it, there are hints that talent is coming in, but I think that probably puts that highlights coaching even more because you want to make sure you have the scheme figured out. You want to make sure you have the coaching figured out because you don't want to waste talent. I don't know what they have now is wasted talent, but what they have have coming in is evaluated as pretty good talent. I couldn't believe Tennessee didn't bring more pressure in this game. I think 
you know, you, you know, you have deficiencies in the back end of this defense and that's been the case all season, but at different times this year, I think back to the LSU game and the Kentucky games in particular, you know, Tennessee was able to get blowout wins in those games in part because, you know, the defense delivered and a big reason that was, was they got good pressure on the quarterback. I mean, if you think back to that Kentucky game in particular, I mean, they, they really put Will Levis under heavy duress. Now I know Kentucky's offensive line is is not good, but it's it's not as if the South Carolina offensive line had, had done a great job protecting Spencer Rattler all year. Uh, it hadn't. But if you look at it, Rattler was only pressured nine times. This is according to, to Pro Football Focus's stats. On average, he's usually pressured more like you know 13, 14 times in a game. So they pressured him less than than average, despite the fact uh, that he he dropped back. And, and, and was in the pocket more than he usually does. You know, normally South Carolina is not passing that much. So I, I really just thought, you know, all these things we're saying about the secondary, we're, it's true. It's a deficient unit. Uh, and yet I thought Tennessee had to find more ways to get pressure because of exactly that. They, they know it's it's deficient in the back end. And, you know, a, a couple questions here, guys. Um, Tim Banks in his second year as defensive coordinator, Willie Martinez, you mentioned Adam is coaching defensive backs. Willie Martinez is a familiar name to Tennessee fans. They're probably having nightmares right now because he was on Butch Jones's staff and, and was fired after the 2016 season. Josh Heupel brought him back. The sequel's not been any better than the, the original. So, you know, when you're, when you're nine and two and you're going to be going to likely a new Year's six bowl game, doesn't make sense to make any staff changes in the moment. Um, but going forward, how likely is it? Do you think we could see some staff shake up in the off season? That's question number one. And then on an unrelated note, guys, or tangentially related, how much do we think Jeremy Banks's absence in the middle of the defense, Tennessee's starting middle linebacker, did not make the trip for undisclosed reasons. Josh Heupel, after the game, wouldn't say why. How much do we think that affected the defense? Because I, I thought his absence, you know, was notable. I don't when the the margin is this big, I I can't think he would have changed the outcome of the game. But I certainly felt like he was missed. Yeah, on uh, on Jeremy Banks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that could have had an uh, an effect on morale of the team. I mean, um, he he is a he is a leader on the defense. He's sort of a. Uh, um, tone setter on the defense it would have given them uh, so that's that's sort of an intangible on the field he would have given them maybe another option to pass rush he's their best blitzing linebacker Uh, he's not a coverage guy that's actually his weakness so he wouldn't have helped in coverage I think Tennessee still gets beat in this game maybe still gets blown out in this game I don't I don't think it would have made a huge difference maybe a little more of the pass rush I, I thought you know, I mean, after the game, Josh Hopple said, you know, we kind of tried everything coverage. We tried man, we tried zone, we tried variations in between. I'm not going to pretend to know X's and O's to watch the the game again and, and figure out when that was. But if if they were running, if they were trying man, it was not press man because all the I mean, you, you hit on it, Blake, all the coverage that I saw. I mean, there was a play. On, there was a first and 10 at one point. I think it was like in the third quarter where the corner was on isolated with a wide receiver on one side of the field by himself. And at the snap of the ball, he was 12 yards off in coverage. 
if that's man defense, I don't, you know, that's mirroring somebody from 12 yards away. That's not, that's not man defense. So maybe they tried a lot of things. I don't know if that's Josh Hopple sort of covering for some of his coaches. Um, I mean, this is all comes down to Josh Hopple because if he thinks the problems are fixable and that he can work with some of the ideas in the room in the off season, and if he thinks maybe it's personnel that he inherited from Jeremy Pruitt, that's another, another conversation. But what we think and what fans think of the problem is, does it really matter if Josh Hopple uh, doesn't agree? Um, Tim Banks got a contract extension. Everybody got a contract extension in August on the staff. Uh, you know, you could fire Willie Martinez, the secondary coach, and you're not going to be out that much money. Tim Banks uh, got bumped up to $1.4 million a year for next year. Uh, and then he gets uh, $1.5 million a year for the f- two years after that. So, I mean, it's not head coach money, but it's that's a lot of money to to pay off a guy to leave. Josh Hopple would have to be convinced, and he would have to go to Danny White and say, this this ain't working. Uh, we we got to fix this now because that, that's a pretty good chunk of change. I know Tennessee has it, but y- you you better be convinced. And Willie Martinez seemed like, I think, maybe not the worst fit. I mean, yeah, he was let go when he was here with Butch, but he, he coached what I think Cam Sutton and Nigel Warrior, Todd Kelly Jr., I think Evan Barry was in his bunch. Um, and he was he was Hopple's assistant head coach at UCF. So it seemed like a guy with Tennessee and institutional knowledge that also had had coached under Hopple. It it made sense, but you know, maybe he puts that away. That that friendship, that relationship, makes a change. So far, the staff has stayed almost completely together. Only one guy left last year. Maybe it's it's time to make changes. But that's again going to be a hundred percent up to what Josh Hopple thinks will fix his team next year. I think uh, Adam is talking about the idea of having to pay somebody a few million dollars and Texas A&M is debating right now, I think whether it should pay Jimbo Fisher, 87.5 million to leave. So <laughs> I don't see where a few million would be a, 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 you know, a deterrent if you're looking, if you think you need to make a change. Um, I watched that game Saturday. It was, it looked, Adam hit on it earlier earlier when he talked about Tennessee was where opponents have been against Tennessee on defense, where you just look helpless and the the receivers are always open. That's what's amazed me about Josh Heupel's offense. Well, I saw the same thing happening with South Carolina receivers in that game. They were it didn't matter down, distance, whatever the situation was. Rattler drops back to throw, lets it go, and here's a guy running wide open. I mean, and Rattler hit him to his credit. There was one play, one of their final touchdowns. It's hard to distinguish. It was just such a blur of touchdowns. It's hardly hard to distinguish one from another. But when it near the goal line and, and Rattler rolls right, he obviously was trying to make a throw in that area, and it's it's covered. So he reverses field, comes back to his left, and there's a guy just standing there oh, I'll throw him the ball, and there's nobody around him. To me, it was just uh, one coverage breakdown after another. So uh, I just think Heupel will end up making staff changes no matter how much it costs. I think also the more games that this happens, the, the obviously the worse it can be. But I think Josh Heupel probably has two different uh, 
two different sides of, of looking at at Tim Banks and Willie Martinez in that in that uh, that defense is that so much of the, of the evaluation goes on in practice, and Josh Hopple can look at it and say, in practice, well, my offense is torching this defense, but I also have the best offense in the country, and I'm a phenomenal play caller, and this is torching everybody. So the fact that it's doing so great in practice every day against this defense doesn't ne- isn't necessarily the best uh, gauge. The more you see it in other games, um, again, seven SEC games, three times a quarterback's thrown for 400 yards. That you know that that's that's got to leave a mark in your mind. And the one thing that you don't want to do is go into games thinking you're already behind. And that's how that South Carolina game felt within just a few minutes. And Josh Hopple does not want to go into next year knowing that he's, you know, he's not going to have probably Cedric Tillman or Jalen Hyatt. He's not going to have Hendon Hooker. He's not going to have a couple offensive linemen. He's not going to have those tight ends. He's going to have to rebuild some of the personnel on offense and he's going to have a new quarterback. And so he can't go into games next year thinking, well, I'll put 50 on this team. So the fact that my defense gives up 40, that's okay. Um, that's that's not going to work. They're going to have to get better on defense because they're not going to be this this good on offense. And if we think back, guys, to after Josh Heupel was hired, he had a really difficult time hiring a defensive coordinator. You know, that, that was a search that really lingered on and lingered on. It was as if nobody wanted the position. And understandably so, when you consider the talent that they were going to inherit uh, and some of the deficiencies there. But also, I think more to the point, you know, coaching defense opposite of a Josh Heupel offense can really put you behind the eight ball a, a little bit. So, you know, it's easy for me to say, well, you know, evaluate the staff. And I think Josh Heupel does need to do that and probably will and needs to make changes in the offseason in, in an area or two. I, I think it's probably easier said than done to just um, – you know, expect a, a great defensive coordinator to fall out of the sky and want to coach opposite this offense. It, it was it was a hard position to fill a couple of years ago. It probably would be the case again. Nonetheless, you know, after you allow 63 points in a critical game to South Carolina, I think that requires you as the head coach, uh, you know, to do, to do some deep evaluations and, and figure out how to get this, um, you know, in a better direction in the pass coverage next year. Guys, I want to look forward a little bit, you know, Hinden Hooker, so many fans probably saw it. If you didn't, don't even bother to look it up. It's it's not going to be pleasing to the eye to see that that injury that that ends Hinden Hooker's career in, in a Tennessee uniform and very, very likely, I think, puts it into his chances of, of winning the Heisman Trophy. Other other players are going to have two games left. Those players that are playing in a conference championship games and Heisman voters are so swayed by what happens in the final few weeks, and Hindenhooker won't won't have an opportunity to put up any numbers against Vanderbilt. Uh, so unfortunately, his Tennessee career is over as he, um, you know, tries to come back for from that ACL injury uh, for his his professional future. But now the the reins are handed to Joe Milton and Vanderbilt. All of a sudden, coming off of a a couple SEC wins. You know, the path is there for Tennessee to, to finish this game in a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, we don't know exactly what bowl that'll be. Probably get a better handle on that, you know, maybe this time next week. But if you beat Vanderbilt, you're probably going New Year's Six. Joe Milton has a chance to be, you know, the quarterback next season. Um, 
tell me this is, you know, there, there can be a silver lining in the ending to this season. Uh, not that there's a silver lining in the, in, in the Hindenhooker's injury, but that, you know, Milton getting an opportunity here can put Tennessee ahead of the game and, and, and on the right path toward 2023. Well, I mean, I, I think Joe Milton and Tennessee, maybe Joe Milton and Josh Hopple are both sort of looking at their hand right now. Um, they're looking at the other side to make sure that this this marriage is going to work because, you know, th- this can go a number of ways. If if Joe Milton uh, plays really well, um, he Tennessee's going to say, OK, this is probably our starter next year. We feel pretty good about that and we'll move forward into spring practice with him. He'll be the bridge guy between Hinden Hooker and let's say let's say Nico, the five star when he gets here. Um, Joe Milton can look at that and say, if I play well, I'm going to get the nod. They're not going to go into the transfer portal to get anybody else. I feel better now of how Tennessee looks at me. Um, this entire season, they've really talked up Joe Milton. Every opportunity that any coach has had about saying something about Joe Milton, they've really gushed over him, which which I think tells you they like what they see in practice and, and in the games, but they also think they really need him at least for an insurance policy or maybe just as a, as a good starter next year. And so they want him to stay. What if Joe Milton struggles against Vanderbilt and struggles in the bowl game? That could, you know, create maybe a, a little bit of shaky ground because you may not be as sure. He's put up great numbers. I think he's looked real good. I, I think he should be the starter at this point. But he's played in garbage time, uh, you know, against twos and threes. and looked great doing it, but. You know, let's see how he does, uh, uh, you know, in, in the last two games where it counts and he starts and he plays the whole game. What if he plays phenomenally, he throws for 400 yards against Vanderbilt and he throws for 350 in a bowl game and somebody whispers in his ear, Joe, with that arm and those two games we just saw on film and the workouts you're going to have, you, you can go get picked in the late rounds right now because an NFL team will take you. Why get paid later if you can get paid now? Just to say that Joe Milton's going to play well and that that automatically means he's going to be the starter, I think that's the most likely scenario, but I think there's like another half dozen scenarios that could come out of this that are that are good or bad for Tennessee and, or good or bad for Joe Milton. Yeah, I really think uh, Josh Heupel, he, even if he likes Joe Milton, if he has a pretty good quarterback out there who wants to transfer to Tennessee, I don't think he would discourage it. I mean, you want all the good quarterbacks you can get. Uh, I've kind of changed my opinion somewhat on Joe Milton. When I saw him last year run out of bounds against Ole Miss on the last play of the game without even taking a shot at the end zone, time running out, I thought, eh, probably never play another meaningful snap for Tennessee. But I had an issue with his decision-making on the field, and he was inaccurate a lot of the time, threw the ball too hard on occasion. I really think, uh, and I don't know about his decision-making because we haven't seen him in in tight pressure situations. I don't know how that will go, but I think he's improved his passing touch. He's more accurate now than he was last season, again, in a small body of work. But that arm, I mean, for what Hypel likes to do offensively, he can get rid of the – he can get the ball out so quickly and so – his fastball, get it to those receivers so quickly – and Heupel's and he can stretch a feel like probably nobody else in college football. So Heupel will always weigh that in any decision about Joe Milton. I'd kind of like to see Joe Milton do well. It'd be a, a great comeback story. 
but but you guys are right about the NFL. NFL will always take a chance on a guy with that kind of arm. Uh, no matter what his what his issues are or what his negatives are, when they see that arm and they when you get him in a tryout and watch him throw those deep outs and and watch him throw it 70 yards or so on a line, you're going to say we got we got to take a shot with that guy. So it'll be interesting to see it play out and and one thing in Joe Milton and Tennessee's favor this week, we talk about how bad Tennessee's pass defense is. Uh, Vanderbilt's is horrible also. And and we saw Anthony Richardson. He went for 400 passing against Tennessee, 400 plus. He went for about 400 on Vanderbilt too. So, yeah, there. That's uh, you talk about silver linings. I, I think that's one of those silver linings. I do think there's also some curious side stories and and maybe strategy and timing in this because the transfer portal will, will open up in I think it's early December. If Joe Milton plays well, maybe that's not, maybe that's not where Tennessee goes to immediately. You can also go to the transfer portal in the spring, like what they did to get Joe Milton. Um, if you did choose to go into the transfer portal for another quarterback, whether Milton plays well or not, I, I don't know that you want to do it that early because you want Nico to sign in December. The last thing, I mean, he's, he's almost essentially under contract with NIL, but, and I think he's coming for, for, 99% sure. But the last thing you want to do is give a guy the idea that he's going to have a chance to compete for the starting job or whatever as a freshman. And then, you know, a week before he signs, add another quarterback to the mix. So I, if Tennessee goes into the portal to get another quarterback, um, I, I would be surprised if they did it before the uh, initial signing day. The Also, the other thing is, like I mentioned, I think Tillman will be gone. Hyde will be gone. They'll go to the NFL. Brew McCoy, I think maybe he could be on the fence because he he has the measurables, I think, at this point to be a draftable guy and he has enough film. Um, but let's say he's a fifth or sixth round pick and you can make the case that, hey, Joe Milton's going to throw you the ball, you know, 80 times next year and you're going to be Cedric Tillman next year or you're going to be Jalen Hyatt next year and you're going to be our number one guy. And so you come back and you can be a, you know, a, a, a top three round pick. If Joe Milton looks good and this looks good to Brew McCoy, maybe that, uh, you know, greases the wheels for him to come back. If this looks bad and they don't know who their quarterback's going to be, maybe that influences him to go now and leave while his quarterback leaves. The 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 squirrel white connection between Milton, the connection between Milton and squirrel looks really good. I think it could be for, for Milton to Brew McCoy too. We'll, we'll maybe get a preview of that a little bit in these next two games. I think what I'm hearing, guys, here is that everybody's going to the NFL here from Tennessee. Joe Milton's going to come out and throw for 800 yards between these next two games. He'll go be a day three draft pick. All the wide receivers are going to the NFL. Um, but, hey, it, that, that may sound like a doomsday scenario, but I guess finish this season in, in style, right? That, that would be um, the good thing about it if, if Joe Milton comes out and and passes Vanderbilt silly and then does so again in a bowl game. It, it really is a an unusual scenario for Tennessee to be in because if you would have told Tennessee fans 22 months ago, hey, at the end of year two of Josh Heupel's tenure, you're very likely going to New Year's Six Bowl game, everybody would have agreed that that would be an unbelievable achievement in, in Josh Heupel's second season. But, you know, knowing what was on the line going into last week, I think at this point, it 
has to feel like a, a consolation prize. Uh, but Joe Milton and company uh, can make sure that, that this thing finishes on a high note. Uh, we'll be here to cover it. And you can find all that coverage on KnoxNews.com. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, Tennessee Vanderbilt this weekend. Adam will be there. John will have the commentary. And thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week.